Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha. And I'm Paddy. In this week's episode, we join the Doctor and Leela as they answer a distress call and face off against the invisible enemy. I don't know how that will work, <laughs> but I know what will work, and what usually does work is us discussing the Doctor, the companions, and the villains, and giving our thoughts on the story as a whole. <laughs> oh. We would also love to hear your thoughts on the story and the title of the story. So, as always, to join the discussion, you can check us out at Time Team. That is T I M E T E A M P on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or you can email us at timetravellingteam at teamproductions.com. You happy you made me laugh in the intro? Yep. And now I have to do the intro while you're going to flip me off on camera <laughs> to try and distract me. <laughs> you're not doing the intro. We've just done that. What you are going to do is the summary. Ah, uh, there we go. Now who's foolish? Me. <laughs> Part one. In deep space, a ship makes its way to an asteroid field. The pilot, Meeker, wants to pilot the ship manually, but the captain, Saffron, orders him to keep it on automatic as it is too dangerous for normal navigation. Meeker says the automatic pilot isn't responding, and Saffron moves him away from the con and orders him back to the bridge seats. Suddenly, the ship's computer announces that they are about to collide with an unidentified organism, and they are forced to take evasive action as the ship is hit by electricity from a large nebulous entity. Meanwhile, on the TARDIS, the Doctor and Leela are doing a bit of housekeeping by moving their furniture back to the primary control room. The Doctor complains about the basic white decor, but stops when he notices that they have rematerialized. He turns on an external view screen to see that they are in the Sol system, and checks the ship's chronometer to say that they are in the year 5000 AD. He tells Leela that this is the time that humanity went exploring the galaxy and began colonizing it, but then comments on the dark side of that process. At that moment, the spaceship lands on a colony base on Titan, one of the moons that orbits Saturn. The crew disembarks wearing their spacesuits and are greeted by the base staff, telling them that they can take off their equipment. However, the crew pull up blaster pistols and murder the base staff. The crew then pull off their visors, revealing the upper part of their faces to be covered in strange grey scales. Saffron tells Meeker and the other crew member, Sylvie, to find and kill the base commander, who is the last survivor, so that he can use the base as a breeding ground. In his office, the commander, Lowe, signals for the ship's crew, but gets no response. He looks at the security camera for the common area and sees the results of the massacre. He then video calls the spaceship where he sees Saffron and demands to know what has happened. Saffron shows no sign of recognition towards him and so Lowe activates a distress beacon and escapes via an emergency exit as Meeker and Sylvie try to break into his office. They eventually get in and tell Saffron that he's left the base but he tells him that he will only suffocate on the moon's surface. Back on the TARDIS the doctor picks up the distress beacon and says they need to get there immediately as due to the signal delay it has been 30 minutes since it was sent. Leela nervously takes one end of his scarf and begins to chew on it saying that she senses something bad. Before she can say any more, Saffron's voice comes over the intercom and cancels the distress call. The doctor tries to reassure Leela that everything is alright, but she replies that the person speaking is no longer human, and that was the cause of her concerns. The doctor goes to the console, but at that moment, the TARDIS goes through the nebula today and is struck by lightning. The console suddenly sparks as Leela sees a purple light surround the doctor, who doesn't seem to notice it. He tells her that she probably saw the space equivalent of St. Elmo's fire, and he goes to check on the console as it lets out a loud bang. As he takes a look at it, he's struck in the eyes by a strange energy and he hears a husky voice in his head saying contact has been made before he collapses to the floor. The same voice alerts Saffron and the others of the arrival of the TARDIS, saying that the nucleus of their hive mind has taken the Doctor as a host. He also tries to ensnare Leela, but she seems to be unaffected by it, a fact that is reported to Saffron and the others so that he can kill her. Inside the TARDIS, Leela brings the Doctor around, but he shows great difficulty speaking as he mixes up his words. He eventually gets things right, but shows further issues with basic coordination as he tries to leave the TARDIS. Leela tells him that something evil is outside waiting for them, and she closes the doors and refuses to open them again despite his instructions. 
Outside the TARDIS, Lowe sneaks up on Saffron and the others and orders them to surrender, but they try to kill him. He kills Sylvie and then flees, taking refuge in a cryogenics chamber. Saffron and Meeker follow him, and then they use the external controls to shut off the oxygen supply into the chamber. Back at the TARDIS, Leela eventually relents and they go outside to investigate where they find Sylvie's body. The Doctor then wonders why the distress call was cancelled, and Leela says that the base reeks of evil. The Doctor tells her to stay where she is whilst he goes to quick quick around, but when he returns, he finds that she is gone, forcing him to go after her. He goes to the main control room of the base and finds Saffron and Meeker changing the temperature settings of the entire complex. He tries to introduce himself, but they tell him that they already know who he is due to the nucleus he is carrying inside him. He asks about the distress call, but instead they place him in a trance by an energy transference with the nucleus and order him to kill Leela so that nothing may stop the impending breeding cycle. Saffron sends Meeker to ensure he doesn't come to harm. Meanwhile, Leela finds a severely frozen low in the cryogenics chamber and drags him to the nearby common room where she helps get his temperature up again. He tells her about the massacre of the base staff and the strange behaviour of Saffron and the others. They suddenly hear the doctor calling for Leela, but Lois says that it could be a trap. They arm themselves and lie in wait for anyone to enter the room. The doctor struggles to overcome the power of the nucleus, but it reasserts control when they hear Lowe accidentally knock something over in the room. The doctor sends in Meeker first, and he manages to shoot Lowe's blaster with his hand before he is killed when Leela throws her knife into his back. She picks up his blaster and rushes outside, but Lowe stops to ask the dying Meeker what is going on. Suddenly, the entity in Meeker's mind transfers itself into Lowe, who then rushes outside and tells Leela to wait for him whilst he hunts down the doctor. Leela does as he says, but doesn't notice the doctor, whose hand is now covered in silvery fur, sneaking up on her. Part 2. The Nucleus orders the doctor to kill Leela, but he refuses and warns her just in time as he fires his blaster, giving her enough time to duck. He then drops to the floor in pain, and a few moments later, the fur vanishes from his hand, but he says the Nucleus is trying to reassert control over him. He then says he needs to enter a trance to fight it off, and once he becomes unresponsive, Leela wonders why she wasn't affected by it earlier. Meanwhile, Lo catches up with Saffron and shows him the scales that have already begun to cover his face. He tells him to continue preparing for the breeding cycle, whilst he goes back to protect the nucleus, saying that the Doctor and Leela won't have a reason to suspect him. He hears Leela coming, and he tells Saffron to lie on the ground, whilst he puts on a pair of goggles to hide his eyes. He tells Leela that his vision is affected by a laser blast from Saffron, and she brings him back to help the Doctor. The nucleus orders Lowe to ensure the Doctor's safety, and he says the best place to treat him is in the Centre for Alien Biomorphology, which is located in a nearby asteroid belt. Leela says that they can take the TARDIS, and manages to break through the Doctor's trance long enough for him to give her the coordinates to the Centre. Once there, he is taken by the Centre's staff to, to an analysis room, whilst Leela deals with the receptionist. The receptionist notices Lowe's eye visor, and advises him to go to the eye surgery for an assessment, which he does. The receptionist tells Leela that the Doctor is being seen to by Professor Marius, a specialist in extraterrestrial pathological endomorphism. Down in his lab, Marius gives out that there is nothing that can be done for the Doctor, as he is in a self-induced coma. The lab's mobile assessment unit, a dog-shaped robot called K-9, informs him of the Doctor's alien biology, which piques Marius's interest. He orders his assistant, Parsons, to begin analysis, and K-9 reveals the presence of an unknown organism in the Doctor's brain. The Doctor then wakes up and explains the reason for the self-induced coma. Marius tells him that K-9 has identified the entity as noetic in origin, meaning that it feeds off intellectual activity. The Doctor realises that that is why the TARDIS, as a living, thinking entity, was attacked first due to its navigational processing. He also says that Leela was unaffected, as her actions are driven by instinct and intuition. He tells them about the events on the Titan, but says that Lowe seemed to be unaffected. K-9 reports that Lowe has gone to the eye surgery just as the Doctor goes back into his coma. Marius, suspecting that Lowe might be carrying the entity, orders K-9 to keep an eye on the Doctor whilst he and Parsons go to check on Lowe. Leela arrives at Marius's lab where she encounters K-9, who tells her to leave. 
She aims her blaster at him, but K9 responds that he is armed as well, but Marius returns and asks who she is. Lidl introduces herself, and Marius instructs K9 to recognise her as a friend. Marius says that he would like to analyse Leela to see if she can provide an inoculation against the entity. However, when she expresses confusion at this, he says that intelligence must be the infection route. Parsons then arrives and tells him that Lo and the eye doctors seeing him have been disappeared. At that moment, Lo and the eye doctor, who became infected when he started to examine him, have begun to infect other staff members they encounter. Lo says the doctor must be protected whilst Titan is turned into a breeding facility. He then orders the others to search for more suitable minds to infect. Lowe suddenly receives a message from the Nucleus, saying that it is under attack as Marius has begun to operate on the Doctor's mind in an attempt to remove it. Marius' operation is interrupted when an emergency call is sent through the entire centre that a ship is on a collision course, after having been attacked by the Nebula, and all personnel are required to help with any wounded. Marius leaves with Parsons, but he instructs Leela and K-9 to keep the Doctor safe. The Doctor is woken when the ship crashes into the docking bay at the centre, which causes structural damage. K-9 says that the level that they are now on is cut off from the ones below. The doctor says that he doesn't think it was an accident and asks K-9 to give him a rundown of every known cloning technique. Leela says that she feels she is needed elsewhere and leaves the lab. Meanwhile, Marius notices that some of the dead of the shuttle crew have grey scales on their faces and he realises that they are infected by the entity. He tells everyone to get back and orders a quarantine to be set up around the crash site. He makes his way back to the lab, but he is forced to take cover as Leela is engaged in a firefight with Lo and the others as she attempts to keep them away from the doctor. She tells Marius and Parsons to get inside and help the doctor. Marius goes inside and the doctor asks him to clone him so that there can be an unaffected version of him to help fight off the nucleus. Marius warns him that clones only have a lifespan of around 10 minutes, but the doctor says that it needs to be done. Leela rushes in, saying that she's out of ammunition, but Marius orders K-9 to take her place and he goes outside and kills one of the infected staff with his nose gun. The doctor tells Marius to clone Leela as well due to her immunity against the entity. Marius explains the process to her, but rather than watch her clone self die, she goes out to help K9 defend the lab. The cloning process works, and the clone doctor exits the lab, telling Marius to trust him. He goes outside and walks past Leela, who asks K9 to explain the cloning process to her in simple terms, but unfortunately, he cannot. Meanwhile, having realised that they won't get into the lab with K9 defending it, Lo and the others have gone around the centre in order to affect any more staff members. After infecting as many as they can find, Low video calls Marius' lab, where he and Parsons try to restrain the doctor's body as it shows more and more signs of the nucleus's possession. He orders Marius to release the doctor and threatens to destroy the entire facility if he doesn't, but Marius refuses. The clone doctor returns with a piece of equipment from the TARDIS that he calls a relative dimensional stabilizer and says it's what allows the TARDIS to travel through dimensional barriers. He says that they can use it to shrink him and the clone of Leela down to microscopic size so they can enter the real doctor's brain and remove the entity from it, using Leela's hunting skills. He tells Marius that once they are done, they will be coming out via the tear duct. Marius then operates the RDS. Once they are shrunk down, he places them into a hypodermic syringe and injects them into the doctor's brainstem, wishing them luck. Part 3. Lowe calls Marius again and says that he will destroy the centre as they have not given in to his demands. Marius agrees to give him the doctor's body, saying that he has no further use for it. Lo then asks after Leela, but Marius says that he doesn't know where she is. Lo says that he and the others will be there shortly to collect the body. As he signs off, Marius goes out and tells Leela and K9 that they will need to defend the lab for at least 10 minutes. The duo go about preparing the defences, whilst Marius arms himself in Parsons, instructing his assistant that if either of them are infected, then the other would have to kill the other of them. K9 seals off the emergency shaft at the rear of the corridor, preventing them from being surrounded. He then joins Leela, who asks him to demolish a section of the wall so they can use it as a barricade. A few moments later, 
Lo and the rest of the infected arrive, and Leela and K9 hold them at bay. Meanwhile, the clones of Leela and the Doctor arrive in the inner workings of the Doctor's brain and make their way along his neural pathways as they search for the nucleus. Unbeknownst to them, they are being observed by a large white orb. Leela alerts the Doctor that she senses danger, but he tells her that she is just imagining things. He then proceeds to tell her how powerful the human brain is before boasting that as a Time Lord, his brain is much more powerful. Up ahead, he spots signs of recent damage, but before he can show Leela, she is attacked by several of the white orbs. He tells her that they are his body's immune system, and she tries in vain to fight them off. He then grabs a nearby ganglia, and the white orbs retreat. He helps Leela up and tells her that he managed to redirect them, insinuating that there is an attack on his liver. He then tells her that they will need to follow the path the entity took, and informs her that her hunting skills are what will help them find him. Outside the lab, one of the infected staff members rushes over the barricade, but is killed by K-9. However, the entity infects K-9, and he allows Lo and the others to advance. Lo orders K-9 to kill Leela, and he shoots her before shutting himself down. The effects of the shooting are felt by the clone Leela, as they arrive at the junction between the logical and imaginative parts of the Doctor's brain. Pat ahead is shrouded in darkness, and the Doctor explains that the two sides can't recognise each other, as they are diametrically opposed. They carefully make their way across the junction. Meanwhile, outside, Lo and the others storm the lab, killing Parsons and taking Marius prisoner. Lo infects him and orders him to release the Doctor so that they can take him away. Marius informs him of the presence of the clones in the Doctor's brain, and he says he can't do anything to stop them, but Lo insists he do something. As they are talking, one of the nurses that Marius had told to hide earlier sneaks out of the lab. In the hallway, K-9 wakes up Leela and explains that he had to stun her as he was attempting to fight off the infection. During his power down phase, he was able to purge it from his systems and tells her that he awaits her orders. The nurse arrives and tells them about Marius and that he is preparing to clone Lo in order to send him after the clones of the Doctor and Leela. Leela says they need to stop them, but K-9 says that they need to wait to see if the clones are able to succeed in destroying the nucleus first. At that moment, Marius injects the clone Lo into the Doctor's brain and the nucleus orders him to stop the others quickly. Inside the brain, the Doctor and Leela arrive at the place where the nucleus has entrenched itself. Before they go to face it, Leela senses the presence of Lo and goes back to face him, leaving the Doctor to go on alone. The Doctor finds the nucleus, which looks like a misshapen insect, and demands to know what it is. It says it is the nucleus of the swarm, an intergalactic hive that roams the universe in order to multiply itself. It tells the Doctor that the swarm will use humanity as hosts in order to conquer the universe, and that through his knowledge of time travel, they will also be able to conquer time itself. Meanwhile, Lo is ambushed by Leela, and in the ensuing fight, they wound each other. Lo is then attacked by the silver orbs, whilst Leela escapes. She makes her way back to the Doctor, and he takes Lo's blaster from her, and uses it to shoot the nucleus. Suddenly, they disappear, leaving all the, the Doctor's scarf and Leela's knife behind. At that moment out in the lab, Marius extracts something from the Doctor's tear duct and places it inside the regrowth chamber. Lo insists that he destroy them, but Marius says they need to bring them back to their full size so they can tell them what happened to the nucleus. However, as Marius uses the RDS, they instead see an insect creature growing inside the chamber. Part 4. The creature, which is the fully matured form of the nucleus, demands to be let out of the chamber. Lo goes to assist it, whilst the Doctor, now free of the nucleus's influence, wakes up and asks for Marius. He sees that it has been infected, and he tries to convince him to fight the influence of the nucleus. The nucleus interrupts him and gloatingly says that the swarm will no longer need to infect anyone to survive, and that they can conquer the galaxy independently. The nucleus then orders him to be brought back to Titan with them. Meanwhile, Leela dresses up as a nurse and disguises her face so that it looks like she's infected. She passes the nucleus and the others in the hallway, and Marius orders her to push the doctor's gurney to the loading area. However, as they come to the reception area, she frees the Doctor and they rush into the TARDIS with K-9, 
avoiding blaster fire from Lowe and the others. The Nucleus orders Marius to stay behind and make sure that they don't follow him and the others back to Titan, as he knows that the TARDIS can't fly without the RDS. This information is also given to Leela by the Doctor when she says that they can beat the others back to Titan. The Doctor asks K-9 to knock out Marius and the robot dog makes his way out the TARDIS, just as Marius is summoning the rest of the staff to the main reception. He knocks out Marius and the Doctor and Leela take him to the lab so they can try and find a way to cure him. The Doctor takes a sample of Leela's blood and compares it to his own, saying that when he, her clone died, she was absorbed into the Doctor's bloodstream and passed on her immunity factor to him. He says that if they can isolate it, they can use it to cure Marius and the other infected staff. He manages to synthesize it and they cure Marius's infection. The professor comes to and then they explain what happened to him and the doctor says that he will need to synthesize more of the cure so they can use it against the nucleus itself. As Marius and his assistants work to cultivate a lethal strain of the immunity factor, Leela advocates for destroying Titan altogether. The doctor says that even if he wanted to, they don't have the weaponry capable of destroying an entire moon. K9 then announces that they have cultivated a lethal strain and Marius orders his assistants to replicate it. Leela says that they will still face a lot of difficulty in getting the lethal strain to the nucleus, but then asks the doctor why he's breaking his no-killing rule. He tells her that the nucleus is free to live as a virus, as it is part of the balance of the universe, but its current status is putting that balance into jeopardy. Marius brings the complete strain of samples to the doctor and then escorts him and Leela to the TARDIS. Before they go, the doctor asks to borrow K9, and Marius instructs the robot dog to obey the doctor. The trio then enter the TARDIS and make their way to Titan. They arrive in Lowe's office and the Doctor sees on security cameras that the breeding pens are about to hatch. They go to leave the office but the Doctor says that there's a guard outside. Leela tells him to let the guard in and she shoots him as he enters but her blast seems to have no effect. K9 manages to kill him but he reports that his power levels are running low. The Doctor tells Leela that the infected are building an immunity to radiation based weaponry and he says it's time to use their intelligence instead. The Doctor sends K9 on ahead to distract the guards and allow them to get to the chamber where the nucleus is. K9's shields eventually run out and he is finally stopped by Lowe, who catches the Doctor just as he is about to get to the nucleus. The Doctor drops the batch of vials containing the lethal strain as Lowe prepares him to feed him to the hatching swarm, but K9 uses the last of his energy to stun him, allowing the Doctor to shove him into the incubation chamber instead. He then attaches a leash to K9 and drags him to safety. Meanwhile, Leela is waiting by the oxygen storage depot and kills Saffron when he tries to shoot her. A few moments later, the Doctor arrives with K9 and he tells her to get back to the TARDIS. The Doctor tampers with the air filtration system and starts venting the methane gas taken from the planet's atmosphere into the base and also opens the oxygen tanks. He then rushes back to the TARDIS and takes off, accidentally leaving the Leela and the K9 behind before quickly returning for them. They take off moments before the base explodes due to the combination of the gas and the Doctor takes credit for the idea of blowing up the base, much to Leela's annoyance. They go back to the medical centre and meet Marius, who tells him that all the infected have been cured. The Doctor and Leela praise K9's assistance in their mission and Marius asks them to take him with them, as he will soon be returning to Earth. Leela begs the Doctor to say yes, but K9 makes the decision for them by making his way into the TARDIS. Marius bids farewell to them as they take off, and then tearfully hopes that K9 is TARDIS trained. End of the story. Cool. So now that we have discovered the invisible enemy, and he's sure fucking ugly, I tell you that much, <laughs> we'll go on to the trivia spot. Yeah, I don't think we're having prawns anytime soon. No. Anyway, the air date for the invisible enemy is the 1st to the 22nd of October 1977. Our writers are Bob Baker and Dave Martin. This is story 6 of 9 for Bob and 6 of 8 for Dave. 
Their previous stories were The Claws of Axos, The Mutants, The Three Doctors, The Santaran Experiment, and The Hand of Fear. And we'll see their work again in Underworld and The Armageddon Factor for the two of them, and then Nightmare of Eden, which is just Bob. The director of the story is Derek Goodwin. This is the only directing credit on Doctor Who for Derek, and Derek sadly passed away earlier this year in April of 2022. Working titles for the story include Invisible Invader, The Invisible Invader, The Invader Within, and The Enemy Within. The idea of injecting miniaturised versions of people into someone's body in order to solve a medical problem and specifically the exit through the tear duct they're strongly reminiscent of fantastic voyage and its novelization by Isaac asimov and that's what the the writers of the story really drew inspiration from also like that's such a good sci-fi trope of like making Mm. people smaller and putting them into a body um also like the magic school bus but you know yeah. Also, one movie that I don't think gets enough love is uh, Inner Space with uh, Dennis Quaid, Meg Ryan, and Martin Short. <laughs> it's it, it's fucking brilliant. Also, Robert Picardo pretending to be a cowboy. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, in this story, we actually return to the original TARDIS console room. Well, it's original-ish. It has had a couple of updates since it was about the round white console room, or the white console room mm-hmm. with the round designs on it. The reason for this is that during the production break between 1976 and 1977, the wooden style TARDIS console room, which is Trisha's favourite, was mm. put into storage. However, the wood got warped and so the prop couldn't be used anymore and the damage was too expensive for them to repair. And so the whole set had to be discarded and basically they did a replacement based on the old console design. And I'm like, at least replace the like replace the new console design. I love that console room so much. I'm gutted that we it didn't works. get it for as long as I thought we did in my head. It works so well with Tom's Doctor. It suits his aesthetic perfectly. Yeah, and like it's a lot less clinical than the than the white one. I find the white one too clinical. Hmm. I think the next one that I really like is Seven's. So Sylvester McCoy's movie version. I think you'll like that as well. Let's see when we get there. Um, mm-hmm. So this story had probably the, some of the most extensive model work compared to any Doctor Who story that we've seen so far. Um, mm. A couple of things around the models. So uh, the model used for the cratered surface of Titan was a reuse of a model that had been used at the surface of the moon in Space 1999. And several pieces of the furniture on title were actually reused from that as well. It was interesting. Um, the Titan base and the Bial Foundation sets um, have an interesting thing when it comes to the language that you see written all over there. Um, in what the script calls Finglish, which is phonetic English, <laughs> uh, the signs read, I was going to spell this, so I-M-U-R-G-I-N-S-E-E-E-G-S-I-T is emergency exit. And I-S-O-L-A-Y-S-H-U-N ward is isolation ward. <laughs> I remember watching it going, why are they fucking doing that on purpose? <laughs> what the hell? Uh, it, it was like, I was like, like the way we spell them out there, you see them actually spelled out properly. They look like Pokemon. <laughs> they really do. They really do. <laughs> exit. I choose you. But it's the emergency exit. Oh. 
and the isolation ward. That's very good. Um, we find out in the story that Leela is left-handed, or at least she writes with her left hand. Uh, Louise yeah. Jameson is actually right-handed, but she thought it'd be better to do Leela as left-handed in order to sort of show how awkward she is with writing. Which like mm. isn't that always the thing you do? Like whenever like you're like mocking up something like as if a child wrote it or whatever, you tend to write with your opposite hand, and not only does it like not look like a child wrote it, it just looks shocking. Now your handwriting is great or, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say like, or in my case, I could just actually write something down. But anyway, anytime I try to write with my left hand, like you know, if I was like doing something like as a joke, like as if you're writing something like you know from a child's perspective or something. I have zero muscle memory in my left hand for writing, so like it doesn't look like a child wrote it. It looks like someone like having some sort of conniption wrote it. Like, it's so bad. Um, so we have K nine in the story, uh, his first mm-hmm. story. Um, in an interview, the writer said that they originally wanted to call him Pluto, after you know the Disney character, uh, but Disney said no. Um and apparently another name used in early draft was Fido for phenomenal indication data observation. I think K9 is better. I He's think a K9 dog. is much better. He's a K9. Away we go. Um this is actually the only story in which the monitor on K9's left side actually displays anything. So he has a monitor there, which I completely forgot about until I started doing something on the screen. I was like, holy shit, he does have a monitor there. It's not just a funny looking it. panel. Um, and this is the only story where they actually tried to put anything on it. And I was trying to think, like, if this in like other story, like like more modern stories, if there's been anything on it, and there hasn't been. We did kind of make fun a little bit of the nucleus. Um, Tom, though, had terrible trouble with it. So acting opposite the nucleus, like the physical nucleus form, uh, he couldn't take it seriously. At one point, he started singing "Prawn Free." <laughs> and apparently he then finally blurted out how am I supposed to act to a fucking prawn <laughs> which again when we're talking about like quintessential sci-fi yeah that that's you're in sci-fi land now you're acting across from something that looks like a prawn it kind of reminds me of like the the giant fish head things from um oh which episode of uh TNG was it I've forgotten was season one or season two I'm sure I remember them as well. Yeah, basically giant fish people. Alright. Um, but speaking of canine and giant prawns, let's talk about our cast, okay? So as Professor Marius, we have Frederick Jaeger. This is the third and final appearance for Frederick. We previously saw him as Jano in The Savages and as Sorensen in Planet of Evil. As Low, we have Michael Sheard. This is story four of six for Michael. Previous appearances are as Ross in The Ark. Dr. Roland Summers in The Mind of Evil, and of course, the amazing Lawrence Scarman in Pyramids of Mars. We'll see him again in Castrovala and also in Remembrance of the Daleks. Three or two people we're also not going to be discussing, so we're not really going to go into low, um, but we also won't really be discussing Saffron, who's played by Brian Grellis. This is the second of three appearances for Brian. We previously saw him as Sepra in Revenge of the Cybermen. We'll see him again as the megaphone man in Snake Dance. I have no idea what that means, but okay. Uh, his non-who credits include Softly Softly, Zed Cars, Battle of Britain, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, The Needle Line, and Coronation Street. Snake Dance from Memory is a fucking weird one. 
it, there's a lot of like themes to it, and it's just like this is kind of strange. Yeah, you know, for Doctor Who, like I was looking up Brian Grellis to fill this out, and I was like, that man looks so familiar. He looks so I could not rec- I can't recognize him for anything, but I'm like, he looks so familiar. No, I've no clue who he is. Parsons is played by Roy Herrick. This is the final Doctor Who acting credit for Roy. We previously saw him as Jean in The Reign of Terror, and he was also one of the voices of Zoannan in The Face of Evil. His non-Who credits include The Spread of the Eagle, The Regiment, Spearhead, and Survivors. Roy passed away in 1988. And yeah, that is a big gap between stories. Yeah. Last, but by no means least, as K9, and also the voice of the nucleus of the swarm, we have John Leeson. So, John will go on to voice K9 in 19 Doctor Who stories, two Doctor Who mini-episodes, the Doctor Who spin-off K9 and Company, eight Sarah Jane Adventure stories, one Sarah Jane Adventures mini-episode, 26 episodes of the Australian K9 TV show, as well as a large number of audio stories. I also met him twice, and he's lovely, and he will just answer you in the K9 voice, which is fabulous. You get to have conversations with K9, it's brilliant. Um, Tom Baker hated K9. <laughs> However, he got along very well with John, and apparently a favourite joke during filming breaks was for Tom to work on a crossword puzzle, asking the K9 prop for clues and John would give his answers in character. <laughs> <laughs> Which again, that's, John just speaks in the K9 voice a large portion of the time. <laughs> One cool thing I found out by reading that book you gave mm. me, uh, I'd recommend it to anyone, uh, Space Hunter for a Cow, Volume 1. Uh, during rehearsals, apparently John would get down on his hands and knees and act out the mm. scenes before fucking off to decide to do the voice. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the interesting thing to consider as well about Doctor Who of this time and TV shows of this time in general. Um, John was there on set. Mm. Like, the voices were being done live, which I think is, is really good. Yeah. And, like, I think a new... Like, it's... This is another case now where it's... Tom Baker's professionalism comes into effect because he hates hated canine but the as the doctor he adores him (laughs) yeah and we'll get into that more when we're talking about the doctor as you know his character piece for today just to close off um john's non-who credits include rainbow blake seven sorry hello hello chuckle vision and stargazing live back to earth and like i said i met john leeson twice he's absolutely lovely if you ever have the opportunity to meet him do because he's a sweetheart. Thus endeth the trivia. So, thank you very much for all that wonderful trivia. You're welcome. Uh, as is tradition, we we will now be discussing the characters of the episode. So, we have the Doctor, we have the companions of Leela and K9, mm-hmm. um, Slightly straddling the companion slash prominent character uh, division would be Marius. And then the villain of the piece would essentially be the nucleus of the swarm. Maybe talk about the possessed people, but as they're no, inde- they're not really independent mm. of anything, uh, it would just be the nucleus itself. So, as is the more recent tradition, uh, whoever introduced us to the entire episode gets to introduce to start off talking about the characters so trish give us your thoughts on the doctor i kind of have mixed thoughts about the doctor in this one 
Um, and I'll explain mm. why. So, on the one hand, I love his interactions with Marius and K9. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, though, he was also a bit of a dick to Leela in regards to her quote-unquote savagery and lack of intelligence. Mm-hmm. Because, like, yes, he does recognize that it's Leela's focus on instinct that keeps her immune. He says it in a really condescending way. Like, in previous stories, we've seen him you know, go from being like, what do you mean you have this sort of sixth sense for danger thing to really trusting her and letting her run with it and like paying attention to her when she's, you know, in that moment. Whereas in this story, there was a bit of condescension sneaking in and maybe we can explain that away in that like he was also mentally battling the nucleus at the same time. Um, But I just think that some of the ways he speaks to her in this story is really condescending also his condescension at the end so she's been going on saying we should blow it up 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 we should why aren't we just blowing it up mm-hmm. which i mean yeah like save lives the only person alive on titan at that time was um the commander of the ship originally was saffron he's the only person alive mm-hmm. on titan and so I can't understand where she's coming from when she's saying, just fucking blow it up. <laughs> like, why are you going to this elaborate thing? Just blow it up. And of course, in mm. the end, his plan goes to shit because he dropped a box. And mm. so what does he do? He blows it up. He blows it up. Only to be like all chuffed with himself. I'm like, I side with Leela where she looks completely indignant. I'm like, I agree yeah. with you. I would be indignant too. Mm. Um, the one thing I'd say as well is that his relationship with K9 is lovely. The way he treats K9 is adorable because he treats K9 mm. like a dog, which yeah. is great, which is the best way to treat K9 is to treat K9 like a dog. Yeah, like he even just starts like tickling his chin and like making a like, kissy yeah, face. He's a good dog. Yeah. Um, he doesn't seem particularly keen on taking the dog at the end, though. <laughs> and no, I don't know if but that was I suppose... slipping a little bit. <laughs> Well, like I suppose, like you, know, like it's some people, like you, know, they love other people's pets, but it's like the concept of having their own pets, like ah, like there's too much training involved, walks, feeding. It's, it's like you know, people around like uh, babies. It's like ah, this is lovely, lovely. Now here it goes back to you. <laughs> um, because like you know, we mentioned last week, I'd seen this story before, but I saw it like, years ago. I completely yeah. forgotten the majority of it, and so when the doctor took K nine to go back to sight, I was like. Did he just steal your man's dog? Because I didn't know that he went back to see Marius again. <laughs> Did he just fucking steal his it, dog? It, 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 it was actually so long since I saw this. I thought that he adopted K9 after Marius was killed. That's what I, <laughs> I that's how I thought it happened. Like. Yeah. Um, so like I said, for me, like, I mean, you know, we do see a lot of like, we see the doctor sciencing things out, you know, the doctor really emphasizing the fact that he doesn't like killing people, whatever. So we see all the good things. But I think for me, the condescension towards Lee that I think was uncalled for, personally. How about you? So, I I was wondering from, I think, part three onwards, how that brain is capable of holding a double dose of that ego. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, this is the first time, possibly ever, or at least in a very long time, where the doctor bigs up himself. And I'm like, Ara, fuck off. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, he goes out about, like... um. He, he, you know, he was talking about like you know brains or computers yeah. 
and Leela, like Leela's like, I don't know. Of course you don't know, but I'm going to tell you anyway. And he goes on about like how complex and intricate like the human brain is, and like how, if you were to replicate it, you would need a computer the size of Europe mm. to to do it. And like, of course, my brain is like you know, is much more sophisticated. And I was just like, Ara, fuck off. <laughs> um, and like, it's not unusual for the doctor to boast about themselves mm. about, about himself. Like, it's not. But this just took it to another like, kind of fucking degree. Um, also, I like you didn't like the way that he was treating Leela. Um, it's he. I think this is the most like, oh, you're a simple savage that he's ever treated her. Yeah, because at one point I can't remember what she says. But she says, like, I'm intuitive or something. And he says, no, you're a savage. Mm. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Where's the joke? Okay, so last week I said, like, oh, they were joking about the savage thing. It was a joke between the two of them. No, that was just mm. mean. Yeah, it, it was, like, it was very... And even if you say, like, you know, he oh, he was maybe flustered because he was trying to combat the... Or trying to figure out about the entity or whatever it was. I was like, you can at least fucking apologize, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, um, the ending. Hmm. So you're indig- like I agree with the you know joining Leela in the indignation, hmm. and I was thinking that going right. No, I'm not the smartest fucking guy in the world. So like sometimes I do miss out on subtext and whatever. So I want to ask you, okay? Hmm. I don't get the logic of not of only deciding to kill the nucleus just because it's bigger. He says that as a virus, it isn't perfectly entitled to live as part of like the um, the natural flow of the universe. Mm. But and but like the motivations of the nucleus are the exact same, irregardless of its size. It still wants to conquer the universe. No, they just don't. No, they don't need humanity in which to. Um, you know, they don't. They don't need um, humanity to basically take over or to piggyback onto. It's like, but the, its end goal is still the same thing: the complete eradication, or at least take over of all other life. So I don't see why the motivation for its size being different. I think it's because, like, this is this is the way I read it: was you know, as a, okay, as a virus, it has every right to live. However, as the thing that its life is dependent on, you have a right to fight back. And when it's gone from it needs to take over a few people in order to create a nest for growth and whatever, when it goes from that to I'm going to take over the entire universe, it's like, ah, no, that's just not purely existing. You fucking overstepped a line there now, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I think it was like, you know, if it was just a virus that just, you know, wanted to breed and multiply you know, it has every right to do that, you know, and you're part of the food chain. You also have a right to fight back against it, do you know? But when it's sort of gone from the need to just survive and exist to the need and desire to take over and control and subjugate, that's different. And maybe that is inherent in the virus itself. It is, like, because their whole thing was that they take over other species with which to conquer and or to multiply and conquer well i think it's the conquer part is maybe where the doctor was drawing the line that like if you just want to multiply and survive as a virus that's fine but if you want to multiply and conquer 
that's different. You can't go setting traps for people in fucking space to try and take them over. That's different. Um, it's a very fine line. And yeah, because it's I also was just thinking, super like, squiggly. So like, <laughs> yeah, but because that's the thing is like he told you in the brain pan mm. like that even before he knew you were a time lord. Their whole thing is to ensnare victims, use them to multiply, and take over more and more stuff. It's not just a simple matter of survival, like say like the Wirren. It's well, actually, no. I think the Wirren were also kind of fucking. Mm. No, no, sorry, the Wirren was revenge. Yeah. That's what it was. This is like no, no. We just want to fucking control stuff. So we're using hosts. The, the 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 motivation is the exact same, regardless of their size. So like his thing of saying like you know always oh, part of, like, as a virus there, uh, like you're know, part of the natural balance is like you know, but like it's not just a virus; it's a virus that actively seeks to conquer and destroy and rule. And yeah, I, I think I it's just... a case of like you know, I think it's trying to sort of equate it to our modern understanding. So. Hmm. A virus doesn't have sentience and consciousness. Mm. And, you know, like a certain virus we're all familiar with doesn't fucking care yeah. who you are mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, And in that respect, I was like, yeah, he's right. But like, I think his issue was the nucleus of the swarm was the problem. Because it was this nucleus that was forcing or like seeking out this higher power like viruses aren't sentient <laughs> so as a virus as a non-sentient just growth and whatever you yeah, do whatever the fuck you want um so i think so possibly what might my, my, maybe my big issue again is with the classification of this thing because they're treating us like a virus yeah. but it's not no it's a parasite it's an actual yeah it's a parasitical entity yeah so, okay. So in that in that in that case, like then it's the writing that lets this argument yeah. down, because it's yeah, it's trying to uh, equivocate, it's trying to uh, you know, equivocate the two things together. It's like no, it's two completely different things. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a like they use medical jargon in the sense that it's something you can catch from somebody else, because it doesn't mm. move from one person to another; it passes from one person to another. Yeah, but like the person that it passed from is still infected. Like, it's an infection yeah. that mm. moves from one person to another. So get their use of a virus in that context. But then, you know, on the other side, it's like, but viruses don't aren't conscious. Yeah. And also, you've met this thing. Mm. Like, you've actually seen what it is. You know what it is. So you, like, the doctor himself, okay, it goes back again. The doctor shouldn't like treat it like a virus. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Oh, yeah, I yeah. think, you know, it was you know, maybe trying to force home the the whole thing of sometimes it's about instinct and you need mm. to follow instinct. But they couldn't have the doctor plan to blow it up because do I have the right <laughs> comes back to bite you in the ass. It's like, well we'll have him science up a solution that takes two seconds. Mm. But then we'll have that solution fail. So he blows it up. Like, I, I think it would have, I think it would have been smarter. Why don't we just clone Leela a lot, inject her into like all the infected, and have them have her kick the shit out of every fucking thing in these people's or brains? Or she just goes in there and just sits down and waits and dies. Yeah, and gets absorbed. Yeah. Anything else on the doctor? No, I, I think that that was it. Like again, like, yeah, as you say. 
I liked his pretty much it's I like him with Marius and K9. Mm. I'm disappointed with the character the relationship he has with Leela in this mm. one. And yeah, the ending it kind of fucking trips, falls, smashes the egg in the last uh, hurdle of that race, you know? Yeah, I'd agree. So then we have the companions. So we have Leela. Yeah, so not the strongest of Leela's stories, but still a strong one, I think. Um, What I love about Leela in this is that she never gives up. She never stops doing what she feels is right, no matter what others say to her. Do you know? Be it, you know, in the hospital, you know, she, the nurse is asking her all this information. Also, side note, Gallifrey, once again, Ireland. Um, yep. <laughs> also, in like the year 5000, Gallifrey, is that in Ireland? Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so Ireland is still around the year 5000. Hey, um, but like, everyone's like telling her like, oh, you know, don't do this or stay there. Like, no, fuck it. Like, following instinct the whole way through. Her interactions with K9 are amazing. I love mm. them. I really want to see the two of them together more. Because I love how she's just like, oh, it's a, it's a computer box thing. It can answer my questions. And like, early when she's like, you know, when K9's like, that's the second doctor. She's like, okay. And then he comes back like, that's the second one. And the K9's like, Good girl. <laughs> this is the second one. It it comes across like Doctor Who's version of Mowgli and Bagheera. A little bit, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think the low point for Leela, for me, because like what I love is that like, she never gets offended by the way she's being treated by the Doctor, or the way mm. any of them treat her. Like they all make all these comments about her intelligence and whatever. She never gets offended by it. She just does her thing. Fuck it. This is what I'm good at. So fuck you. Um. But I think the low point for me is actually when when they went into the doctor's brain, because mm. the doctor says that she needs to, that he needs to take her with him because of her hunting skills. But we never get to see her hunt. The doctor takes point the entire time, even when like they're entering like where they see the damage and they enter that part of his brain. Leela steps through first, but then the scene changes and the doctor is still taking the lead and she's holding on to his scarf. We never mm. see her actually using her intuition inside his mind. And the fact that like she's flailing against what's essentially like his white blood cells or whatever. Um Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm like Well, she she realizes that Lowe is there's a clone of Lowe, so she doubles back. Well, yeah, to, like that's it. Like she kills Lowe, but that but wasn't then, but the it, purpose of her being in there. No. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like we didn't see her facing off against um the swarm or the nucleus. Do you know what I mean? Uh, we didn't see her tracking the nucleus. She didn't track fuck all. <laughs> Do you mm. know? And I don't know if that was like Tom wanting to stay in front, or if I don't know, it was just poor writing. Of well, we want to have Leela in there as well, so we'll just say we need her hunting skills. But they don't actually let her hunt. And so for me, that's it's kind of like the low point for her. And like across like these la like her first batch of stories, I think that sequence. Is probably her lowest point in terms of the Leela we've come to know and love. Because they tell us we're going to get the Leela we've come to know and love. And with the exception of when she kills Minnie Lowe, that's not what we get. Do you know? Yeah. Um overall, like it's still a really strong performance. And I think like that low point for Leela, I wouldn't necessarily blame that on Leela. 
like it's not that they wrote her to be bad so they didn't write her to do what she does so like that's kind of a writing fail in that she does nothing she didn't do anything wrong she just did nothing <laughs> how about you uh so i suppose the streak had to be broken at some <laughs> stage um i <laughs> all right i don't like leela in this story mm. not because but not for any failure on leela's part mm. um i was kind of taking a look back there at like because uh, when I saw the two lads that, were, that had written it, I was like, Dave and Bob, and I was like, okay. And I was looking back at um, some of the stuff they had written before, and some they were saying back to some of the character, characterizations of some of the companions that they had done in this thing before. And, like, there's just so much that it seems just wrong. It's like they hadn't been like, hadn't been paying attention to the last half of the previous season, mm. right? Um, because, as I said, this is the most savage she's ever seemed since her debut. But, like, not in the, you know, where it's like, oh, savage to one is, you know, smart to another, civilized to mm. to the other side. Or it's like she does come across, like, as the simple savage. Um like yes, she, she has the character, the character strength that we always talked about. Like you know, she's decisive in action. She's well capable in action. Like I love her thing of you know, um, throwing the knife to draw fire and then just doing her little fucking somersault into the lab. Um, I did enjoy her interactions with K Nine. I thought they were great. Um, but stuff like she's worried. She she picks up the entity. You know, like you know, there's whatever's on the other end of that line is evil. So she starts nibbling the doctor's scarf. Like that was weird. I forgot about that. That, I, that was odd. I was like, no, like that. That is very out of character. Very out of character from what we've seen. We've seen Leela be scared before, mm. but we've never seen her like a two-year-old, you know, uh, using like the safety blanket or whatever. Um, also, again, an issue with the writing is that. The doctor specifically kind of says to Marius, and Marius is paying attention to him as he's saying this. The reason the entity didn't get onto, didn't um, infect Leela is because she's a huntress. She's driven by intuition and instinct. Mm. But then for us, for like the next half of the story, it's treated like, oh, the reason that it didn't infect her is because she's too fucking stupid. Yeah. Like that, it's that like, to me isn't against Leela. It's against the, the story. No, it's it's, it's the, the writing. It, overall, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's the right. It's like Fry in the episode of Futurama with the giant brains. Mm. You know, yeah. Like it was like Fry writes the shittiest book. You know, now I'm le- leaving for no particular reason. Like that's. It's like I don't like the fact that it's like oh, like the reason that you didn't get infected is because you're a fucking tick. Um, and it really, really sat like it really didn't fucking sit right with me. Because, like, we've seen f- four exceptional stories that we like that we've been raving about, mm. irregard or performances. Sorry, maybe like we didn't. Some of the stories themselves mm. were d- divided on, but exceptional performances and exceptional writing, even from someone that we thought wouldn't be able to write or write, yeah. or like write her well. Um, yeah, write her well. Thank you. <laughs> um, but I was like, just. No, this is this is a great character let down by really bad writing in this one. 
Yeah, I can see that. I said for me, I think I was just looking at it as Leela on her own. But like yeah. a lot of what you called out, I had on my overall. So yeah. Oh, like I, the, the, yeah, like it will be going into my factoring into my overall. But the one, t- it's just like the nibbling of the scarf, and like the slightly comedic throwaway line. And like as I said, yeah, Leela doesn't give a shit about that type of thing. Mm. But like, it, it it was said that she's driven by these things that aren't like like they aren't taught out processes it's all instinct and intuition and like jesus christ like you know you talk about it in movies like fucking top gun or even iron man where instinct and intuition like are the benefit of a pilot a pilot Mm -hmm. it's like they're not treated as fucking simpletons so it's like why should this be any different um yeah and like it's it's the one thing that i wondered about when they were going down the scientific route because I was waiting for them to realize that it's just a mindset. Mm-hmm. But then they actually chalked it up to something biological. And I was like, that, that's weird. Mm. I mean, surely it'd be better if like Leela harmed the nucleus in the doctor's mind. But then the nucleus somehow knocked them out and managed to escape through the tear duct. But that's how the doctor was made better. Because... Mm the nucleus left and once the nucleus leaves then you're immune so his immunity is different to hers do you know but then i suppose they can't replicate that and mm. whatever but yeah it was yeah yeah i know i got what you mean yeah um but we'll move on to something that i think made us both kind of happy and that is canine who's a good boy who's <laughs> a good boy i know some people don't like canine and I know that several of the cast that we love didn't like working mm-hmm. with the K9 prop. The K9 prop is a pain in the hole to work with. Because mm. um, you have to shoot it from certain angles. It can't move very quickly. It can't go up fucking stairs. It can't even get into the TARDIS on its own, technically speaking. Um, and all that kind of stuff. But I can't help but love him. Like, he's a talking dog. He's a talking dog. He's he's canine. Yeah. That, that that's essentially it. Like it's like, what can you say about him other than the fact that he's he's canine? Yeah. Um. Like I said, I loved his interactions with Leela. I think him and Leela make a really great duo, and I'm actually mm. more interested in what their dynamic is going to be like than I am his mm. dynamic with the Doctor because I do wonder if he's going to kind of become because I've, I haven't seen anything of them other than this episode. I do wonder if he's going to become like Leela's tutor going forward. Because like she's clearly asking him things and kind of being like, oh, he can explain that shit. Great. Uh, without yeah. the ego fucking getting in the way. Um, except where she's like, can you explain cloning to me? And he's like, okay, can you explain cloning simply? Negative. Which is like, shit. <laughs> but I do wonder like if we'll see scenes of them where it's just like him basically teaching her stuff. Do you know? I I think there is. Hmm. From memory, I think there is. I also love how I was convinced that his little multicolored collar Mm -hmm. was a doctor addition to make it look Mm -hmm. like his scarf. But no, he had it all along. Yeah, he already already had a collar. Yeah. (laughs) It's just so... Because if you think about it on paper, it's like, it's it's a robot. It's a fucking robot dog. (laughs) It's just like... Like even it, it's, oh, but it's great. I love it. It's, like, it's so good. Amazon has a device that's currently only available in the states and only by invitation, where it's basically 
a robot for your mm-hmm. home. And it's called the Astro. And the minute it was announced, I was just like, but does it have John Leeson's voice? Because <laughs> if it does, I want one. <laughs> if it doesn't, then I don't. <laughs> Isn't that the name of the dog from the Jetsons? I think so, yeah. All right, fair enough. Cool. Um, but I guess, I mean, I don't mean this to, to sound like I'm blown, like I have met John Leeson twice and having him speak to you as K-9 is adorable. And like he signs his autographs and it's like, you know, pleasure to meet you, mistress. He actually writes it on the autograph, you know, and it's like, you're so cute. I th- I think that John, like a couple of other people in that in a very similar scenario, they don't get the praise that they should mm. because the design of K9 is, is cute. Mm. It is a, it is a very cute design, but John's voice gives it such character. Mm. He gives everything character. Like the bit where uh, Leela comes into the lab for the first time and K9 just basically goes, get back, you know, it's like you're not allowed in here. I also have offensive capabilities. <laughs> it's like, it's, I'm really glad that they were, that they were allowed to do a voice that that just gives us, you can, you can imagine that if say the car, the dog was CGI mm. and there was a lot more, you know, I suppose moving parts to it or whatever. You can imagine seeing certain emotion or just certain looks on the dogs on K9's face. Mm-hmm. But you, you get that from John's voice. Yeah, like if you so, compare it to, I mean, we were talking in, in the break there about Star Wars. Mm-hmm. If you compare K9, so K9 does not have the mobility of C3PO. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it has the function, he has the functionality though, similar to R2. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And with R2, I think sometimes R2 you can get emotion. There's a couple of noises they make that you can kind of make mm. that emotional connection. But I I don't know if it's something about the form of a dog. Like John's voice, which is pure innocence. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's exactly what you think a dog sounds like. It's like the dog from Up. Yeah. This pure innocent voice coming out of this adorable little contraption. And it's like you connect to it so much more. Like, I know a lot of people are looking at, oh, like, you know, 3PO. I don't think anyone actually likes 3PO. Um, but you're like, oh, R2-D2 or BB-8 or, you know, I suppose the, the closest sort of Star Wars um, comparison I can make is um, BD-1. Is it, is it BD-1? Mm, yeah. It was in Fallen Order? Yeah. Yeah, it is BD-1, yeah. I think the closest you can get to, like, the connection that like you immediately get with K9 is probably the connection you get with BD1. And that's yeah. because BD1 is designed to be adorable as fuck. Yes. I don't care about me falling so long as BD1 stays <laughs> up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm interested to see except for me the most interesting thing going forward now is the K9 and Leela interaction. Because that's what I want. Because you have this really super advanced computer and this woman who, you know, technology is not her thing. She's starting to understand it, though, but it's not her thing. And having her have someone that she can go to for answers without feeling stupid, I think is going to be really interesting. I, I want to say, I think at one point they're playing a game. I know. Like they're facing each other. I know at one point, because I think it's in, um, I think it's actually one of the autographs I have. K9 and the Doctor play checkers or chess yeah. or something. Um, what do you have? I 
think that's next season. Mm. But I think there's a thing where himself and Lila are playing a game together. Mm. But will we now talk about his former owner? We will. Uh, Professor Marius. I will say, at one point, I was laughing my ass off um, when the nucleus prawn was monologuing. Mm-hmm. I love how Frederick was clearly bored out of his mind. Because <laughs> it holds on this wide shot for fucking ages, right? So the prawn is going on about whatever, right? You have Tom lying down on the platform. You've got the mm-hmm. two lads holding up the prawn thing so he doesn't fall over. You have Low standing there. And then behind Low, you have Marius. Mm. And you can tell that Frederick is like flexing his fingers, kind of rocking on his heels a bit. Because <laughs> it goes on for so long. <laughs> he's clearly bored out of his fucking mind. And I don't know. I need if, to watch that. I don't now. know if he realized that like he's still in shock. He's just he's just meant to be stood like you know in a trance. Like he's there, sort of like like flexing his fingers a bit and rocking a little bit and sort of stood there in a bit of a slump. It's kind of been like. <laughs> <laughs> It's still talking. Okay. <laughs> Which I just found fucking hilarious. <laughs> um, on that though, I do like Marius. I think Marius is a good researcher. He's a good physician. He care- he cares for his patients and he cares for his colleagues. All mm. of which is completely true. Um, I love the fact that like when he says to um, Parsons, he's like, if I get infected, I, you know, don't hesitate to kill me. Because I won't hesitate mm. to kill you. And you can, you, some people would read that as, oh, that's fucking cold. But it's like, no. like, No. That, that, that's what you want in that situation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, put me out, yeah, put me out of my misery. Because especially an entity like this, mm. it's they're not only just like, taking possession of my body. They're taking possession of my skill yeah. set. Um, so I, I love that. I love the way he's that. I love the fact that like with Low, he's just like, like before he gets taken over. Like when Lowe's on the screen, like he never even considers giving in. No. Ever. Do you know, he understands the impact and the ramifications, which is great. I also love the fact that he built K9 as a companion, you know, who like, oh, K9 knows everything I know and more. Do you know, and K9 is his really advanced computer. Because he couldn't bring his real dog. Yeah. I'm like. <laughs> Okay, and no wonder K9 is so freaking adorable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, if you compare Marius against Stevenson, I, I, I wish I can guess hmm. who's your favorite Frederick character out of the two of them. Um, but yeah, overall, I think. I mean, I, wait, Sorensen. Who's Stevenson? I fucking yeah. don't know. Sorensen. Yeah, because um, yeah, I was actually going to say, like, just which performance do you prefer? They're both great performances, both very different performances. But who do you prefer? I prefer the character of Marius. Yeah. I think the Sorensen performance allows Frederick to stretch himself a lot yeah. more. So I think Sorensen is the better performance. Marius is the Marius better is character. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I'd absolutely agree with that. Um, Like, for me... You initially think he's like he does come across as quite pompous at the very start, mm. because it's like you know, it's a self-induced coma. Why am I here? This isn't a medical like emergency, and it's like I suppose it's the the view of like you know, 
specialists. Mm. Now, I get this view from watching fucking Grey's Anatomy from time to time. It's like, these people are just fucking arrogant assholes. <laughs> but it's like, they do have like amazing skill sets. They're able to, you know, save lives like on a constant, near constant basis. So like, obviously their skills are a bit of a premium. You'd want to go to like, what's the most exciting case or what's the most like um, necessary case. Mm. But that goes away once he once you find out okay here's what's going on and he's a pure professional he really is he's a very professional about his mentality and his methodology but he also has great care for his staff and patients so he's not completely detached from anyone you know he's not like the the fucking genius that had to create a robot dog says like you know the only equally intelligent companion to have no it's it's not that he's a very caring kind of considerate boss i think Um, as evidenced by the fact that you know, like hiding the nurse, mm. like it, it wasn't a tactical choice. It was a stay here and stay safe type yeah. thing. Um, also, he's definitely you'd want someone you'd want to have around in a crisis because his handling of the the, um, the disaster relief once the ship crashes into the base, mm. his his handling that is brilliant. He's actually in there leading the um, leading the efforts of like trying to find survivors. Mm. Like he's not just directing because, you know, oh, if I'm hurt, then who will lead? It's like, no, he's he's right in there. I'm, I always say, I think we both always say we like that in the character. Yeah, um, yeah so I think I, I enjoyed Marius. I even liked his little weird uh, pin glasses. glasses. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, the Perspex fucking ridge. Um, yeah, no, like, I th- I think that Frederick had a, had a great um, time. I'd like to believe he had a great time playing this character because he is very absent-minded professor because mm. i think it's like the hair and stuff like that but no he was enjoyable i, I enjoyed his interactions with the doctor and with canine as well like so mm. i think his interactions with leela are interesting because he does kind of follow the doctor's you know you know he, he follows the same thing of oh it's intuition and it's intuition it means she's stupid she, he does kind of follow that a little bit but he does also trust her intuition he trusts her yes. to defend the room. Yeah. And he doesn't care what the fuck she does to do it. Do you know? Which, you know, is a nice balance. Do you know? Um, and, like, the fact that he clearly, like, recognizes that she cares for the doctor. And is like, okay, well, you can't help me in here. Get the fuck out. But you can yeah. help out there. Go. Do, <laughs> do what you do. <laughs> and I do what I do. Yes. So then, the villain. The nucleus of the swarm. Okay. So, two things. The brain version, the invisible enemy, as it were, kind of cool. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a bit shit. You can easily identify who's been taken over based on what they look like. Mm-hmm. But still, kind of cool. The idea of it being an entity that can live in space uh, and sets a booby trap, some might say, to capture people. And then the fact that it can jump from one person or it can spread from one person to another. That's mm. amazingly interesting. Yeah. However, the giant prawn that can't walk by itself can barely fucking breathe. Mm. <laughs> no, just, just, no. And if it's like, make us go faster! Make us go faster! And I'm like, you really had no idea. Like, they wrote an amazing three-part story 
Yeah. And they really didn't know what to do with the end of it. But <laughs> was like, like killing the swing. Higher, Daddy. Higher. <laughs> you know, and I like. Um. I'll get to it in my overall in terms of how I think it could have been handled differently. But like all fear I had of this thing, all like fear of endangerment for our heroes. No. The minute that giant prawn walked out of that room, I was like, uh no. Like, there's at least I would say about what, two minutes of footage, which is literally just the the fucking prawn nucleus going faster, faster, yeah. we must be faster. I'm like, I didn't include it in the fucking uh recap because it's like there's there's no tension there. Like they made it come across like the scene in like any Dracula movie where like Dracula is trying to get back to his castle before the sun sets, you know, they're being chased by the hunters. It's like no, like it just doesn't it doesn't work here. It, like because there's no tension. Yeah. I, guess it, <laughs> well, I have an idea in my overall that we'll get to later on on how that could be done differently. Yeah. Yeah. To include <laughs> tension. But yeah. maybe don't maybe don't have a fucking time time and space machine be the one that's chasing it. Um, within the framework, of, no, but I I completely agree with you here because like in the framework of the story, mm. the idea of the nucleus is great, and to me at least, it's kind of up there with the animus from mm. Web Planet yeah. in terms of like holy shit, this thing could be unstoppable, mm. you know. Um, in the production though, and I try very very hard very hard to like make allowances for budget and materials and stuff at the time which is why i love arc and space so yep. much because i think the bubble wrap works amazingly in that which we said was relatively yes. new at the time yes and as a result it helped towards that five star rating that we gave it here it's very the production of the giant prawn it's very Great and powerful Oz. Don't look behind the curtain. No, really, don't. Don't. <laughs> don't. No, like, seriously, because it is. It's incredibly distracting. Yeah. Because, and like, even your brain is thinking, like, you know, oh, the two guys carrying it are clearly, like, you know, he's not used to being this large, as you know, or whatever. And it's like, no, that logic still doesn't apply because it. It's not like as if its body has completely been lopsided or anything like that. It should still be able to function by itself. It's literally the guy in the suit can't stand upright or whatever. Um, so, yeah, like, this is the one time where that production value just really fucking took me out of it. Um, but this actually, and I can't believe I didn't figure it out until about maybe 10 minutes ago. Mm. Remember all the way back in, I think it was Tomb of the Cybermen. Okay, keep going. All right. We t- we talked about uh, body modifications that the Cybermen go through. Like, at what point does like you know, say like the soul yeah. or the the personality of a person cease to mm. be? Here in this story, it's basically a clone is a complete carbon copy right down to all the personality traits. You know, because like, we asked like before, like, oh, if you clone someone, like, is it essentially a complete uh, a complete double, or is it just a big dumb meat baby? Mm. Yeah, so here, like at least one cloning takes us. No, no, it's the it's the full McCoy, except it's only for ten minutes. Yeah, again. Yeah, I think we'll touch on that in the overall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Seriously, don't peek behind that fucking curtain. <laughs> oh. <sighs> <sighs> 
so that is the character discussion done. Very interesting one this time around. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we had to be negative about something at some stage. <laughs> um, so now we're going to go into the overall, and we're each going to give the story a score out of five. So Trish, you lead us off. Cool. I had completely forgotten what happened in the story, and I was so fucking confused when it started. I was literally like, what the fuck is this? What the hell? Um, I will say, like, so I spoke a little bit about like, the, my opinion on the Doctor and stuff, and I will come back to the treatment of Leela in a second. For the first three episodes of the story, I was like, this is really cool. It's got a lot of really good sci-fi elements in it. Um, You know, the idea of something taking over your body, not knowing who to trust, all that. I love the way they even had Lo, like, covering his eyes, knowing mm. that that would give him yeah. away, and so covering his eyes with the shield thing. And I thought that was great. Um, the whole idea of them in miniature and going inside the doctor's body. Like, one thing I would say, the CSO on this story, huge leap forward compared to the CSO we've seen in previous stories. Like, when they're walking around mm. inside the doctor's brain, obviously there's like one or two bits that are set, but the rest yeah. of it is just CSO. And I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. you can tell they're kind of floating a little bit, but like, it's so much better than mm. even just last season. Do you know, they, they've, they've yeah. done so much with it, which was fa- fascinating to watch um i quite like the core part of the story in terms of instinct and intuition versus science and logic mm-hmm. i like that idea because again it's a very sci-fi idea which i love um so much of this was just pure sci-fi like making things small and everything that was all great the final episode, though, what the fuck? It just seemed like there was like, okay, we need to fill an episode mm. with shite. Like it, the final episode was shit in comparison to the rest of it. And there's ways that they could have done that better. So I said that you know I would I think it would have been a better Leela response if Leela had attacked the um, the nucleus just before or clone Leela attacked the nucleus before the clones died and dissolved which still allowed the nucleus to escape mm-hmm. but then you know, so you could still have the nucleus escaping you have a little bit of Leela redemption for that episode basically um, but then once the nucleus is the right so- is big you know you could still have it be the giant fucking prawn but to bring in that sense of urgency like you were saying that like, was missing mm-hmm this thing is meant to be microscopic. So when you make it bigger, it's not built to breathe in atmosphere in the same way that a human is or atmosphere at this size. So yeah, you could have it be that like its body can't actually at scale because like you have the microcosm versus the macrocosm. You yeah. know, and is this a idea of sort of you know, quantum mechanics of what works at a quantum level versus what works at a big level? So you could have it be that like gravity at a macro level has a negative impact on the prawn form. Do you know? You could have it be that he can't breathe, it can't breathe properly, it can't mm. move under its own power because of the forces of gravity acting on it. Which is why it wants to get back to Titan faster. Because it needs mm. to go into the, whatever, we'll say the nitrogen-rich environment where the swarm is is getting ready to hatch or whatever. 
there's ways you could have done it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Still using the same sci-fi tropes and sci-fi elements that would have made it more interesting. Mm-hmm. Instead, we have it escapes through the eye duct. We don't know fucking how. We don't know how it got there. It didn't know what the plan was. Because at least if the Doctor and Leela were absorbed first, it then knows whatever the Doctor knows. And so it knows it was planning to escape through the eye duct. Um, you know, so that would have been more intense and like you could have the doctor being like you know why are you just stop like you know there's no point in you going for domination at this level you can't use this technology to dominate the universe because you can't live at this level do you know and you, it could have been a real good back and forth and i think they wasted that on what was essentially a punchline hmm. at the end of the episode with Oh, well, I blew it up. It was such a great idea I had to blow it up. It's like, it wasn't your idea to blow it up. Like, that, that, that seems like what it was. They're building it all up to a punchline. Mm. Which, you know, when you compare it to the first three episodes, it's just such a massive letdown at the end of it. Yeah. The other side of it is really the Leela thing. And so I didn't hold this against Leela, the character, mm-hmm. because it wasn't anything wrong with Leela, the character. However, I agree with you 100% about the whole portraying Leela as stupid is ridiculous. And that being sort of the accepted thing. A, trying to find a biological solution for what's essentially a mental state of being. Yeah, you could maybe try and explain that, that maybe her neural pathways work differently. Do you know? Mm -hmm. You could maybe try and explain it with a way of biology. But the fact that they explained its intuition and, you know, um, what was the other word? Uh, instinct. Instinct. And then they went with, well, you know, maybe it is intelligence after all. I was like, mm. emotional intelligence is intelligence. Mm-hmm. You know, intuition is intelligence. Like, what are you saying? And so that really did bother me as well. Um. Like I said, it did, I don't think it took from Leela as a character. I think it took from everybody else around her, was the way I looked at it. Do you know? I think, no, I agree, but I think there's a small element of a takeaway from Leela as well, because it really, um, what's the word? Um, where something goes backwards uh, in terms of development. Like, reg- Thank you. I was like, retrograde? No, it's like, yeah, regresses. She She kind of regresses, like in the sense of like, you know, the nibbling on the scar. Yeah, that is the, the one. That is a little thing. Like, yeah, yeah, and like it just—I don't get it. Like, because never before across the entire four things, and is it just like granted? Yes, we. This is the first time that it's happening inside the TARDIS. And that's what I'm thinking. Is that maybe that's what they were getting at with that? Is that like she knows the TARDIS is a living thing? She knows like the TARDIS is everything, so the evil is everywhere. But she can't see it. She can't. You know, maybe maybe that's what they were going with. But I think having her huddled in a corner, I probably wouldn't mind if she had her knife out yeah. rather than nibbling on the scarf. Like, yeah. But it's like, this is the thing. It's like on her own home world, you know, with the invisible en- you know, entities of the evil one. Mm-hmm. And then the all power of Zoanan. Excuse me. She wasn't like that. But, this is a, yeah, but I think, like, like I said, I think where mm-hmm. they were going with it was that this is a different evil. It's a new evil she doesn't know. It's in the TARDIS and the doctor was like, the doctor's being weird. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, 
I think that's what they were trying to get with, but they failed at doing if, that. Yeah, they failed miserably at that. Like, because if that's the case, and there's nothing to indicate it uh, whatsoever, bar us reaching for that potential fucking limb for them, you yeah. know? So, um, for me, in terms of a score for this one, um, when I was watching it, I was like, okay, this is like a, a solid 3.5. Do you know? Um, and that was sort of the way I was going through. And then we got to the last episode, and I was like, uh, let's go. Um, so I knocked it down to a three. I think, you know, if you're someone who gets very defensive of characters, like you and I do, mm-hmm. you're going to be pissed off at the way they treat Leela. Mm. But the story itself is really good. Like I said, the effects are amazing. Uh, the acting by everyone was fantastic. Um, the interactions for the most part are great. The introduction of K9 was phenomenal. All that was great, but like the two points are for the last episode just being, what the fuck? And the way the writers treated Leela. Let's put it that way. Mm. The way the writers treated yeah. her. Um, so for me it's a 3 out of 5. How about you? Um, so, yeah, like I'm agreeing with you a lot of like the lot of stuff that brings this down. Um, like I enjoyed K9. Mm. Like, you know, it was just so much fun. His interactions with his interactions with everyone were great. Mm. Um, the villain of the piece was, like, as I said, conceptually very interesting. Um, and I kind of compared it to one of our favorite concept, conceptual villains, which was the, the Animus. Mm. Um, and like most of the production and design was great. I mean, like, the inside of the doctor's brain, like, those fucking sets and everything like that were, were amazing like, and as you said the CSO was great really really well done um, but the, the the fully grown prawn nucleus was way too distracting as as you said like there was way to work around it Jesus Christ even in the brain Leela could have stabbed it and it could have been wounded mm. and that could have been why it needed support coming up um, the, like, so I didn't like that the doctor's weird flip floppy relationship with Leela where it's like one minute there, what we've seen for the last four stories. And then it's like, you know, go come along little fucking, you know, whatever. Mm. Um, I, I, this is the first time, as I said, like she just feels like this is the first time I think that it's ever seemed like Robinson Crusoe on Friday, mm. you know, where it's like, you know, it is, it does feel like um, a, a colonist and a native, you know, mm. Like I've never, I've never, like I've never picked up on that thing before, mm. ever from them. This is the first time it actually felt like that. Um, the and as I said, the, the the doctor's justification at the very end for blowing him up, clearly, like, okay, we get what they're meant to, what they, maybe he's trying to equivocate it to, but the writing makes no sense in what we're presented. Mm. Uh, so I don't agree. Like I think that's just it's just bad writing mm. for, and like it's. The concept is brilliant. The execution is poor for, I won't say the most part, but for a decent part of it, it's mm. poor execution. Uh, so, with and again, like I said, they, they, they really fail Leela. And, like, the guys together have, you know, they've had hits and misses on stories. And this is a miss for me mm. overall. And I've just gone down, look, I've split it down the middle. So it's a 2.5. Okay, okay then. So the story overall, big drop from last week. Um, we mm. both dropped two points. Um, you from 4.5 to 2.5, me from 5 to 3. Um, 
And so going back to what you were saying about the character of Leela, I think with the exception of the cuddling in the corner, eating his scarf, which is just fucking weird. It's like Leela was in her own... Leela was in a different episode to everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, Leela was off doing her own thing. And it's like, okay, yeah, she. I like what she's doing. She's, can we just follow her? Like, what the hell? Um, but yeah, I think, you know, for the writing duo that we had, I think... I don't know. and I didn't see any mention of it in the trivia. I don't know, maybe it's mentioned more in, in the book that you have, but like, it seems rushed. Yeah. Do you know that, like, particularly the third episode, they didn't really know what they wanted to do with it. And so, like, they have to chalk it back up to there's a biological difference between Leela and everyone else. And it's because she's not as developed, so she's not as intelligent. And then rushing things like- with, the, with the prawn and stuff like that. I think it's weird like, because these are these are this is the same duo that gave us the three doctors, the Suntaran experiment, and the hand of fear. Yeah. They also gave us the claws of access. And the mutants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like so I was like but like I remember like at the time, like once we like once we hit hand of fear, I was like going, Oh, it's like fucking Robert Holmes, you know, like you know, like he had a couple of stinkers, but then it was just like all like the stream of hits, mm. you know? So uh, Christ, is is this like their? <laughs> it's it, you know, it's like it's like uh, for me, like it's like you two. Mm-hmm. Some of the early stuff was pretty naff. Then Joshua Tree and the nineties are great, and then it's just I'm like you know, just fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a YouTube fan, so I don't know. I can't speak to that. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's more uh, non-Irish YouTube fans than there are Irish YouTube fans in the world. Well, I, in the world, certainly. I think there's more people in Ireland yeah. who hate you too than people in Ireland who like you too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, you know, not the best sort of follow-up story. Um, not the best story. I think in terms of, you know, we've often talked about companion introductions. I think a great mm-hmm. companion introduction for K9. Mm-hmm. But not the best story written for him in it. Um No. You know, uh, you know, it sort of reminds me a little bit of you know introducing you know, um, uh, why why do my name just blank on our character? Joe, Joe, that's the one. (laughs) Like introducing Joe and Terror of the Autons. You know, we've got an interesting character in a poor story. Like, yeah, it, yeah, um. Like, but that, that's even like you like it's like you've the the nucleus of an interesting character, but they're they're treated really poorly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't. Know, I mean, I'm mean, interested to see what happens next week. Now we've got like a Tardis trio again. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Been a long time since we had a trio, and we're going to have a trio for a while, um, which is going to be really interesting. But we will not. You mentioned next week. We won't have an episode next mm-hmm. week. <laughs> yes. Because I will be away. However, in two weeks, on Halloween, we will have a new episode. And Paddy, what is the new episode coming yes. up for Halloween? It seems very apt because certain people say it is the last of the Hammer Horror style stories. And that is the image of Fendal. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Sounds interesting. And kind of creepy. Yes. <laughs> From what I remember... It is, because I think it's set in the countryside in a big spooky house. 
Yeah. Cool. Well, look. Till next time. Bye. Bye.